This podcast is brought to you by Ideate and Execute. Do you want to drive innovation in your organization, futurize your enterprise, ideate massively valuable new products, or execute them to market? Then contact us today at ideateandexecute.com and get started. Why listen to the past when you can listen to the future? Welcome to the Think Future Podcast, broadcasting from deep in the heart of Silicon Valley, California. We focus on innovation, startups and the future, not necessarily those and not necessarily in that order. Here's your host. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, great meeting you in person because this is how we meet in person nowadays over Zoom, right? Uh, so uh, why don't you tell us a little about yourself and your organization and what you're passionate about? Wonderful. Uh, well, thank you, first of all, for the invitation. It's uh, I love conversations. I think, uh, you know, as an interaction designer. Or, uh... It's not a Greek thing. It's not because it's not... <laughs> That too, right? <laughs> we, we, we invented conversation and dialogue. That's right. Um, and I always say the midwifery technique is the best way to bring people uh, get ideas to be born. So I would just say that's what I do. I get ideas to be born and then find ways to realize them. Um, mm-hmm. I run a, a company, a consulting agency called Principled Design. Uh, I call myself a designer, which is a very ambiguous term. It took me many, many years to um, make peace with that. I would go through, you know, customs and then they say, what is your profession? Designer. Oh, you make clothes. So, well, actually, I also make clothes with a lot of technology in them. Um, so it's one of those uh, very amorphous and ever-changing terms. But fundamentally, yes, I think, and I, I work as a designer. Um, however, my work is always at the intersection of design, technology, engineering, and people. So mm. bring together people, processes. You can't forget the people part. That's kind of important. People. And we do so very often. So just to situate it, because it's, it's important in the way that I work, my first degree, my first master's was in philosophy, and not just mm. because of Greek. Uh, and the second one was in that was the f- degree I was going for until I switched to economics. But I was I was going for a philosophy degree, and I thought to myself, "What am I going to do with this?" <laughs> I, <laughs> well, but it's actually know, been very useful throughout my entire life. <laughs> I, I I find exactly the same. Um, so then I started. I got very much involved with wearables before the term even existed. Uh, so the majority of my of my work, my big projects have been around wearables. However, what I do really is bring what I'd like to call appropriate technology to bear. So one of a big project I did with a friend was in Afghanistan, where we developed a toolkit for artisans. And that was a book because that mm-hmm. was the appropriate technology. But right. our process, how we got there, the iteration, the co-creation were all principles that I've bring in as a designer who, again, is very, very much involved in technology and, and what technology can do and, and can we imagine it to be. So right now, I'm also writing a book called The Softness of Things, Technology in Space and Form, which is based on a class I taught at NYU. I've been teaching at NYU for the past 19 years as an adjunct. And nice. it occurred to me after many years that, oh, my God, this is really my design methodology. Mm-hmm. And I've, you know, I've had students 
come to me a decade later said, oh my God, Despina, that class changed my life. Or when I embark on a project, I always think of how did we do it there? So I thought, okay, it's time to, to put it together. Uh, since I think we're also in a very interesting place with technology and, and where we will go. Uh, it's a, a very interesting, urgent, critical, and um, really exciting time to to work in this field. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I think it's interesting that you call yourself a designer because that's one of those things that's so malleable to everybody. It depends on who you're talking to as to what it is. It's like, oh, you do websites? Or are you a UX designer? Or like, um, But if you're, if you're beyond that, how do you get people to understand that it's a little broader than simply visuals? That's a, such a great question. And I have to admit, I really struggle with that, especially because, as I said, my body of work is so diverse. You know, my very first project, I was a research fellow at Interval Research in, in your neck of the woods. Mm -hmm. um, and I did a really big project for Christie's, which was organizational transformation. So how do you bring this all together? So I, the closest I can say is I'm a design strategist. But mm -hmm. it still doesn't capture it because it's the work we do is by default inter and transdisciplinary. Um, sometimes I call myself an engineer whisperer because I can get engineers to do things that they, <laughs> they always say, no, we can do that. Well, what if we reframe it and we think of it differently? So maybe another term. Do you mind if I use that term? Because I feel like I could do that as well. <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> Absolutely, please. Um, so I, I do struggle and it, it's, it's usually um, a 10 minute conversation. It's only after I describe some of the projects that I've done that it be, oh, okay, now. And that's also one of the reasons that the majority of the work I do is really word of mouth. You know, like I've met, I meet someone at a conference and we start talking or they see other work that I've done and they say, oh, I think maybe you can be helpful to our organization. And a lot of the projects that I've involved in, I think of them as props to mm. get conversations started. So I did um, a wonderful project with a, an amazing, actually molecular engineer, material material engineer at Lubrizol. They're a big company, they, they make polymers, they engineer polymers. And even though the end product was you know, a jacket, the process to make that jacket, because they don't make products, they, they make plastic pellets. Mm -hmm. But how do you communicate in your organization or to your customers what your capabilities are? So it was really a deep dive, meeting to meeting with all the department heads, understanding what they have that could be applicable for flexible electronics and wearables. And so even though and then, of course, they have an amazing demo piece that, you know, four years later, it's still outside the office of the president and everybody loves it because suddenly the intangible becomes tangible. And mm -hmm. in the process, you get connections between um, departments and you really have innovation in action. You and it, And I really insist both with my work and with my students that you have to make it. it. I don't care how it could be made out of cardboard. It, it could be made out of, uh, you know, paper clips and duct tape, but you have to give it form. Yep. So then you can be critical about it and you can see what, you know, you can find the the cracks. It yeah. Just mobilize people. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's interesting you should say that because it's almost like you have a portfolio, right? You're an artist and you have a portfolio and they're all different kinds of things. It's not just 
artwork it's it's physical objects and 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 all sorts of different things so it's a very and if you think about it most human beings are complex just like that but for some reason everyone wants a simple explanation of what what you do right so when you're talking to somebody they go oh what's your elevator pitch or what do you do or if you can't explain to me in in 30 seconds what you do then i don't want to talk to you it's like no 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 human beings are way more complicated than that you have to understand that there's a lot of depth there and you can't really communicate it in a 30 second elevator pitch. I, I, I couldn't agree more. And I think in the past, especially maybe it's now 15 years with this whole, like, the elevator pitch, the, you know, the, the Twitter feed, your tagline on LinkedIn, if you cannot encapsulate it, you don't exist, but yep. we lose so much nuance and so much, exactly. Exactly, as you said, depth and complexity, and we are complex. And I think we want to remain complex. Oh yeah, exactly. And but the problem is how do you how do you express the complexity to somebody without having that sort of sit down face to face word word of mouth one-on-one conversation with somebody because I've had that situation where you know you talk to somebody and they're like, oh, "Okay, I don't understand. I don't understand. I don't understand." But then once you actually get face to face with them and you discuss it with them and you un- and they understand sort of the depth of you you make that actual human connection, then they get it, right? And they go, "Oh, okay, I see." But yeah, it's kind of like that's not what our world is designed to be. Has been been turned into. It's more of a get it done quick and uh, forget about anything but low hanging fruit. And can you help exactly. me right now get this specific thing done? Yeah, and and I think yeah, absolutely. And it, you know, it's it's a combination of that and the attention economy that people have a very small, short attention span, and that we want everything done yesterday. And um, yep. exactly as you said, the low hanging fruit, which we know what the result is, you know, you get what you pay for, you get the low hanging fruit, and we don't go deeper. Although, of course, that's more of a maybe a a hope. But I see a a bit of a shift where people are drawn more and more into long form text Mm -hmm. and into Mm -hmm. really finding that complexity. But that could also be, you know, my self selected group or my, (laughs) my, my hope. And like, I think every thing and historically we will have both i don't think it's either or but i hope we were going to start tilting a little bit more to to that a more in-depth because the other thing is we are dealing increasingly with complex problems or exactly. you know what as designers would call wicked problems that they mm-hmm. don't have a right or wrong solution there is not and and those problems, whether it is climate change or or the political division that we're encountering, they need interdisciplinarity. They need complexity. They need to map the system, map the opportunities, map the tools, and see where the leverage point, again, to use a systems-based uh, language, mm-hmm. are. And this cannot be done in, in, in five minutes or even five weeks. So um, I think as we will realize that the way to get out or to address, because again, solving is a, I don't think we can solve them. It's how efficiently and effectively can we address some of the challenges that we're encountering, uh, maybe will show us that we do need a systems-based approach, which demands complexity and a deeper thinking. Yeah. But the question is, how do you get to those deeper conversations without just having these one-on-one connections. Cause it's got the, uh, like I said, like we, we meet over zoom, you know, yeah. if I'm in New York, I'll come see you. We'll go have a, yeah, a drink or something, <laughs> but the chances of that, I mean, we're all so remote now. I mean, yeah. it almost seems like we really need to redo our tools or something 
so that we can reestablish that same kind of connection that we used to have. And then we can get to the deeper issues because people get a better understanding of what people are like. Uh, that's a, what a great, I, I completely agree. And it's interesting because, you know, like with, with the fact that we're doing this on Zoom and it's so normal, I don't think we would have been as normal five years ago or yeah. before the pandemic okay with podcasts yes maybe but now you know i have clients that they're in new york and we mm -hmm. mostly on zoom and we definitely lose something on the other hand i was in greece over christmas for a month mm -hmm. which i couldn't oh, i was in greece for uh, a month in october so oh. <laughs> let me know next time you go yeah you can meet, we can have that drink in greece definitely with better weather, with better weather. um so i couldn't have done that so this ability to be remote to you know the the new digital nomads so we gain we lose but i think you're making an excellent point uh in terms of how do we redesign our tools you know i always when i have sometimes uh i'm meeting with or when we had class on zoom sometimes we would say yes you and i would imagine that the person could see me and i thought oh why isn't there a tool on zoom that it can track which window you're looking at and that person knows that you're looking at them right yeah, it's coming <laughs> so so i'm sure it's coming so things like that so how do we look at and of course i i don't think so and again maybe that's more of a hope i don't think we can ever replicate the face-to-face -face experience because we're biologically designed exactly hundreds of thousands of years to take on cues that we don't even know we're taking on yeah and you know you, you smell scent uh like small small gestures move that they just yeah body know. language anything body happening language. below <laughs> exactly how do you know do you shake your your foot that's right is my leg oh, shaking if i cross yeah. my legs you know right i'm losing attention <laughs> so all those things that we we're not even aware that we're processing you know the the precognitive the unthought um, yep. environment, which it will take, I think we will never be able to engineer those tools, or even if we do, it's not going to be in my lifetime. Mm -hmm. So how do we make this transition more efficient? How do we have interaction designers, engineers, and again, that's my big, how do we get engineers and designers to really work together and not have the technology and what's possible drive the design? Because I think we're still there. We're still yeah. at that level, uh, even though I've been talking about it for 25 years and people, if I've been talking about that even before me, I think still the processes are separate for many reasons. But, you know, this is a, this would be a week-long conversation maybe <laughs> upon some of those issues. Yep. But, and that's why I bring back this notion of conversation and conversation theory and what the early cyberneticians taught us with the, and then we moved to the second order feedback loops with, you know, suddenly people talk about cybernetics again, mm -hmm, which is mm -hmm. really interesting because for a good 30 years, it was quite dead. And now people are reviving these conversations because we see that we realize that we need this A, complexity of systems, interdisciplinarity, and this understanding of the second order feedback loops and the biological, because, you know, the in the early cyberneticians, you had neuro neurologists, you had psychologists, you had uh, anthropologists. So to bring those disciplines back in uh, and really embed them into interaction design and not just, okay, let's put 10 stickies up and do a little ethnographic <laughs> research, but really go into talk with biologists, 
talk with uh, evolutionary uh, psychologists and understand, okay, how do we now deal with this new environment and how do we bring back or introduce some of the qualities in our tools so we don't lose all that depth um, that we have we, we have been trained to respond to. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it reminded me of something I read somewhere, I forget where it was, but they were talking about how we as human beings really haven't evolved from the individuals that we were thousands of years ago. And we're doing all these things that are very unnatural to us, like driving in a car, going faster than walking speed, uh, getting in an airplane. It's like all these things that are I think they were talking about how it actually it's it's minute it's almost traumatizing because we're we're doing these things that are really unnatural to our our bodies, but we're we're trying to rationalize that they're normal now because this is the world that we live in. So there's there's a disconnect between the, our humanity and the world we live in, and it's getting worse and worse and worse, especially with like Chat GPT and things like that, where people are saying. Oh, you know, this is going to take over all of our jobs and things like that. So we seem to be dehumanizing the world, which and it's it's kind of a sad we're going in a sad direction. But it's good to hear that there are some sort of sprigs of hope here and there where we're, we're starting to bring the human back into the equation. Yes, I, I absolutely think I think that's absolutely correct. I mean, first of all, I see it with my students where they do have. Um, almost a nostalgia, well, actually not almost, a nostalgia for the past. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. they bring that awareness in the work. And these are, you know, future, uh, either they're going to make their own companies or they're going to work in the GAFAs of the world, um, you know, in Google and Amazon. You know, they, they're going to, and so I, I hope that sensibility and and desire for connection will come uh, to bear. And of course, we also, are seeing we hear every day in the news and I think we see it in our environment you have more and more people with really debilitating mental health issues so this is also something that we need to address and we have now enough research to know that this world of social media and the dopamine kick is is only contributing to that so how do we just kind of reverse that and start introducing and think about humanity. And, you know, for so long, we talked about STEM and how important it is to have STEM education. But I think we not need to start talking about how important it is to have humanities educa- education. Exactly. And, and bring, I don't know what the acronym would be. I'm not. Um, but you, you have to bring the two to come together because we are now working at as you at deep fundamental issues of what it means to be human this mm-hmm. question that you know oh that many of the questions that we had as philosophy in as philosophy students that they were what they would be called thought experiments now they're not thought experiments they are how we live you know, yeah. the, the most famous uh, question you have in ethics and ethics 101 when they teach you about the you know different types of ethics is you drive a train and or a car and if you veer to the left you kill a, ma- a mother with a pram and if you veer to the right you uh, kill a bus with uh full of octogenarians yeah Which, the trolley you, problem right the trolley right? problem right so now it's a real problem it's something mm-hmm. has Folded in, and I remember I had this conversation. Now it's over ten years ago with an engineer who was working at autonomous vehicles, and he said, "No, but this would never happen. The the, the car will know this. It's it will it's programmed to never engage in an accident." Of course, we know that's not the case. Exactly. So now we have to code this ethics 
into tools and machines and systems or you know what is a human or this conversation does a machine have consciousness which to me that's not the interesting question the interesting question is what is consciousness mm-hmm. and how yeah because we, we haven't even figured that out yet i mean right, how can we and, say it's consciousness <laughs> Right. I mean, that's an open, uh, again, one of the oldest questions in philosophy books. So but what's interesting in our interactions with the machine, um, we are those questions get clarified and they're pushing us to ask them in a much more critical and embodied and personal way. It's no longer a thought experiment. Mm -hmm. It's. How do you deal with your phone, with uh, chat GPT, just with, with what is prediction? What is the difference between prediction and anticipation? How do we fold the two together? What's creativity, originality, authenticity? So I think it's a very exciting time for philosophy. Oh, it's very, very um, exciting. I think we should bring it back as a, I always thought, in fact, I wrote a blog post on this a while back. We should have chief, chief philosophy officers like CPOs in these organizations that will actually, you know, advise people on just and i think it came out of the the vw scandal like where are the c cf c philos i guess you could call them we need we need those in the organizations maybe that i will change my 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 um, (laughs) chief philosophy officer (laughs) well i'm a design strategist and researcher i'm a chief philosophy officer We need somebody like that in the C-suite, really, because yeah. uh, it seems like we've got we've veered off, uh, not just on the ethical front, it's like on many, many fronts yeah. as to where we're going. Yeah, and I but think, the, that, you know, it's, it has to do with this accelerationism where the, the and acceleration in general, our technologies are moving so much faster than our ability to process it from a policy point of view, from an ethics point of view, from, you know, education point of view. And that's why a lot of these institutions are in crisis mm-hmm. because, you know, when, and, and, and that's where also the value comes in. I mean, half of the things that are taught in many, even graduate schools, you can l- learn on YouTube. Oh yeah. Yeah. In fact, I, I've, I've, I've heard stories of, of students going to class and not learning anything and just watching it and getting all of their information from YouTube because there's something about the instructor they didn't like or the lecturer yeah. was boring or whatever. So, I mean, education, uh, don't talk about education. That needs disruption in a huge way. Huge way. Huge. But yeah. Yeah. if then bring in the human element, conversation, criticality, um, the network that you learning how to work with others, how to collaborate, how to assess what is real information and what it's not. That's where education really has a role. So exactly it's to re, as you as you absolutely disrupt and rethink what is it that we're teaching, which means a deep dive in what values do we have that we feel are worth perpetuating and, and sharing. Yeah. You should uh, we should just teach people how to learn and then let them go learn whatever they want on their own. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> that yes. might be the way to do it. But yeah. the thing with Chappie GPT, I think is interesting is that it's um Every time I've worked with it, I seem like it just feels like a mirror to humanity. It's just a mirror to us. All it's doing is sort of regurgitating what we did. So it's not really creating anything new. But then some people say, well, that's how we create new things. We take building blocks of previous things and slap them together in a new way. And we go, aha, here's something new. I mean, do you think that it'll ever, I mean, recently, what, I don't know if you played with it recently, but do you think it's actually doing anything that's any, that's even remotely all that interesting? Um. Of course, it's an amazing engineering feat. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's extremely interesting how 
what, but I find what's more interesting is the desire for it to be something more than it is. Mm. It's really an amazing synthesizer. It's a yeah. very smart synthesizer. Now, the issues, though, as you very well pointed out, and there were so many researchers, you know, the first that comes to mind is Kate Crawford. I don't know if you're familiar with her work. She's a researcher at Microsoft, and she was uh, co-founder of an institute, AI Now, um, at NYU. I think she's no longer there. And she's written this book, Atlas of AI. Mm. Where, and she's just one of many that pointed the obvious, that the what is happening with all these technologies with machine learning, artificial intelligence, and now with chat GPD is that all the biases and all the misinformation that we have created only gets amplified. That's right. Exactly right. So misogyny, racism, you name it. <laughs> because but I, I, have a, I have a theory behind that, but just go ahead. I mean, let me hear you. Um, so, so we, this is so so going back to we're still nowhere near general artificial intelligence mm-hmm. nowhere near definitely not in my lifetime and i would even give it a much longer uh timeline than that because again we're complex and because we we have so many sensors and senses and then you bring memory and then you bring emotion and then it becomes increasingly so i'm not as you might have guessed a reductionist mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so so yeah so i think but it's it's what's fascinating and that's to me i don't have the right answer i'd love to know your thoughts on that is that it's like we have now ai is the hammer and everything is a nail mm-hmm. boom, 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 mm-hmm. we're gonna everything would i for a second say that it's not amazing what it's doing in drug research and in medicine in general, or optimizing energy grids, absolutely. But we seem to think that it's going to solve everything and that it, it's valuable for everything. So, yeah, I think it's fun and interesting. And, you know, I think, like I said, the more you play with it, it's also what I find interesting is, is uh, the probes that you put in. It really helps you think of, okay, what do I really want to give it as exactly. a prompt? Mm-hmm. But it's, yeah, as I said, I think it's an incredibly smart and well-designed synthesizer, but it opens up a huge area of critical concern, which I'm sure you've all had other people talk about as well in terms of, as I said, perpetuating and not only perpetuating, solidifying the biases that we have and the injustices that we have built our society in. Well, here's, I have a theory on that, but go ahead. And the misinformation, which is, very truly scary yeah so my theory is this is that all these all these bots that are trained on public things like twitter or or whatever um the the reason why they are the way they are is because human beings aren't really portraying their their true selves on social media right they're doing things purposely to try and gain attention so they're they're saying racist things they're outraged blah 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 so they're creating this persona of what of humanity which is incorrect it's not what people are really like in person because some of those things you see online you would never say to somebody in person yeah. never so if the ai is using that as it's as part of its training set no wonder it's turning into a you know racist homophobic jerk is because we are telling it to be like that because we are acting like that so that we can get gain attention online so if we used real human conversation 
that people would be say, people would be talking in person, then we'd yeah. get a much different uh, impression. Of, I think the AI would get a very, very different uh, view of what humanity was like. What an interesting, that's a really interesting thought. Mm. Uh, and again, not, and I guess part of it is the Alexa model, right? Where they do actually take in a lot of anonymized conversations, but that's, you're, you're touching on something really interesting and compelling. And, and I think that's where, again, it's the kind of the mental model and how we, how do you think of these technologies as collaborators yeah. as opposed to as solution providers? Mm-hmm. So that's a uh, that's really interesting. I'd like to I'd love to think about that more. How do we bring in those those inputs and that um, you know natural uh, environments and settings? Yeah. So it just made me think. It's kind of like uh, Dan O'Reilly's predictable, predictably and irrational, where he says that people will just lie on surveys if they don't yeah. know what the answer is. So I think people will communicate in bizarre ways that are not like themselves online. And just to try and gain attention. And I think that's kind of, uh, it's a sad thing, but it seems like humanity has become a whole bunch of people who are just, all we're doing is screaming for attention, right? It's like we do things to grab our t- grab attention. And, and do you think that, I mean, it's obviously not a good thing, but it seems like that's where everyone's going. It's like, if I don't do anything that gets any attention, I'm, you know, I'm very sad and I sit in the corner. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's funny. I was talking to a friend, you know, I used to think that I should uh, take a course on, um, just to augment my skills on uh, coding. But now I think I should get a, a course on LinkedIn, how to yeah. make myself visible on LinkedIn. <laughs> so it's, it doesn't matter what you do, it's how you promote what you do. Uh, and, and the, the famous like, influence. Exactly. The whole influence. But I, have this, I have this theory that there's somebody up there turning the dials. They're like, okay, let's turn this dial up. Let's turn this person down. Let's turn it. And it, there doesn't seem to be any rhyme or reason to it. Because, I mean, I've posted things on LinkedIn that have gotten, you know, hundreds of thousands of views. And then I posted things that have zero views. And there seems to be no differentiation no between them. It's like, who who's turning the dials here? I think, again, it's just some really messed up algorithm. And, yeah, and that's, yeah that's, probably. That's where when you have algorithms doing social engineering without having with having a very limited worldview. Yeah, that's what and. and and it becomes a little bit, um, and it's impossible to get, I, I think, an algorithm that has all the inputs because that you would need, because then that's a human. And, yeah, and exactly. And like the map of the world, you know, I, again, I teach at NYU and we, they moved to a new building and we changed the system. And now we have a class that we five people co-teach. And for mm-hmm. some strange reason, this semester we're in two different floors. Which means I'm not gonna. I mean, we we have our separate classes, but you know we met before class, we met during the break, we met after class. There is a and so the algorithm that set up that floor distribution didn't have that into account because how many checkbooks are you gonna have in order to configure something, right? Yeah. So that's yeah. another example of how we just let go of that social engineering and interaction, you know, like the fountain example of where you get the best ideas uh, being born. Um, How do we bring in? I think we're having a very critical conversation around what it is that we're trying to accomplish and what is efficiency, because that's the other thing, you know, on the other hand, you have the attention span, uh, the, the, the attention economy, and then this efficiency that everything has to be optimized and efficient 
and to the degree that often becomes inefficient. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, there's always the, you know, we always want to get to the end instead of enjoying the journey. And I think we've gone, we've become more like that now. It's like, I I think the uh, one I was reading was about, was about video games. So it used to be when you were playing a video game, you'd explore the world and figure it out and and go through the puzzles. And now people just watch Twitch to see how to get there as quickly as possible, complete this Mm -hmm. task and move on. It's like, no, no, no. It's the, it's the journey as well, not just the destination. Which it's interesting though, because at the same time we've seen, and maybe for that very reason, such a, a great increase in, in interest in mindfulness, mm. uh, in, in meditation. Okay, which also has become the you know what, what is it called the well-being economy or there, there's a term. yeah yeah there's a whole economy that's come out yeah. of it yeah um, and again it, it becomes a goal in its end in its mm-hmm. own I'm gonna. Mm-hmm. I'm going to meditate so I can feel better and I can work harder. <laughs> no, but you know, that's right. I, I heard, okay. I heard Google uh, fired a bunch of yoga instructors, you know, <laughs> or massage therapists. I think it was. <laughs> oh my. So yeah, we've, we've made quite an interesting um, place for ourselves, but at the same time, as long as we have the ability to converse with humans and, and share ideas, I think we're going to be okay. Oh, yeah. Um, but we need to do more of that. In fact, that's the one thing that's the one thing that I, I did a study when I was going through um, my Stanford class about you know, the work working from home versus working in the office. And the only thing that we realized was missing was serendipity, right? I mean, you bump into somebody and you either would have a conversation and blah, blah, blah. And we at that point, we said, oh, you know, it's not that important. But I, I'm tr- I'm changing my opinion on that now. I think serendipity is ultimately important because if you think about it that's where most of our new ideas come from is these chance occurrences where people bump into each other and because of the way we're all remote and everything it's very rare to have those kind of serendipitous encounters absolutely because everything is much more structured it's much more goal oriented um it has an agenda yeah. again you you only use this part of yourself um <laughs> you're not having you know the 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 touch which is so important mm-hmm. in, i mean we know what happens to animals uh when you separate where they don't get touched enough they become uh depressed or really anxious or really aggressive mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and we are touched and having this you know hug that you see a friend or in the corridor less and less and less and less and uh, especially at, well at the same time people tend to live uh in in bigger they don't have so many people in their household mm-hmm, so you mm-hmm. have the inbuilt loneliness and then you don't have someone to just give you a hug because you had a good day or because you had a, a bad day you know yeah I, so and of course now when you try to hug people because i'm a hugger i like hugging yeah. people and they're all like oh, you know covid yeah. <laughs> stay yeah. away i can't even this is uh i do a shut up and write um meetup and i just want to shake the guy's hand and it's still he's like oh yeah i'm a big hugger too and you know, being COVID and being i've got a good immune system it's all right <laughs> we should yeah. all work on our immune systems yeah exactly <laughs> so yeah, we, you know we had a bit of a i mean it's all it's a confluence between covid and this new technology is being rolled out at a really increasingly dizzying pace mm-hmm. without us being able to to catch up um but 
as I said, I, I really, I can get into dark moments and think, oh, whatever. But and, and that's one of the main reasons I teach because it's it's really wonderful to to meet younger people and uh, some are very doom and gloom, but for the most part, they just are so excited about ideas, mm -hmm. about what can be. And I find my one of, part of my my role, I think, is to keep that excitement and make them believe that they are responsible. You know, we a few years ago I taught I taught a class on um, uh, future predictions, which is I know we're going to get to that, and it's full <laughs> parent, but uh, my favorite stuff. <laughs> right future scenarios and you know i think when we say they uh have done they is the future you want to be in those positions of of power or decision making at various levels but you have a choice of what yep. kind of job you're going to how you're going to do it how you're going to conduct yourself what uh how you're going to collaborate what values you bring into to the tools that you're creating and um and I think that's really, really important. And that's why, again, making things is is so critical. Oh, yeah. In the abstract, uh, you don't really come face-to-face -face with those uh, decision points and then just kind of like map out what will the effect of it be. You know, yeah. No, I have this feeling that we're, and I, I think that I thought about this a couple of years ago, that there's going to be a backlash against the virtual. And yeah. I mean, you, you heard it just, I think I read just yesterday that, Microsoft fired, they let go all of the AR, XR, MR staff because, you know, it's not there yet. The metaverse where uh, Facebook is putting all their all their uh, power into, it's not here. And I, I don't think people are going to want to be there yet. And in fact, we've seen it. I think we're seeing a backlash against the digital. We're seeing a backlash against the virtual. People want the the real experiences again. Are you seeing that as well? A hundred percent. Hundred mm. percent. For all the comfort of the digital nomads, and it's greater. Uh, I see it. First of all, you know, I don't. I don't want to. I'm trying to always say I'm technology agnostic, and I'm. I'm really interested in technology, and I get mm -hmm. very excited. But VR, honestly, and I know there's some amazing uses again in uh, treating post-traumatic stress disorder, anorexia really spectacular uh which again makes you really think about the nature of the brain mm -hmm. but as a general category i cannot think of one experience that i had in vr where i was like wow that's yeah really interesting or i would rather first of all it's again the engineering that after 20 minutes your head hurts <laughs> you know, i have a neck yeah. problem anyway as we all do between this and yeah and this. yeah uh and like another heavy thing but it just it's it's disembodied and i think people the people really revel and you know i see here in new york there are many more salons and networking events where people are having meals together there is absolutely um i think a desire for that and i also don't think that the metaverse uh makes sense at this point where where we at this juncture where we are and i hope Frankly, it never will because yeah. <laughs> we, we have such an amazing world and it's uh, amazing to dance and walk with people and move and eat and, and share. There's a lot of uh, information there. Yeah. These dystopian worlds where we're we're stuck in a coffin and, and everything is like sense fed to us. I, I, it's terrible. I mean, I don't like 
I don't, it just seems so inhuman. It's like, yeah. what are humans turning into? And yeah. I mean, do you see people, I mean, I, I think people are realizing this and it's not, I think the COVID actually helped bring people understanding that it, you know, we, we really do like the face-to-face human interaction. Face-to-face human interaction is how we were designed and we're mm-hmm. still trying to step away from it, but we should be going more and more towards it, which is yeah, I'm glad no, we're I- seeing that. I, I completely, uh, and I would love to, it wouldn't be exci- it wouldn't be wonderful if the energy that goes into VR and the metaverse would go in figuring out how to bring people closer together, how to have those serendipitous encounters. You know, one of the very first products I um, designed after, after school, um, which was a bit of an experiment, but then it had a bit of a small design cult following was an LED a very thin wire on a battery that was 2000 so mm-hmm. it was, wow um, you're ahead of your time <laughs> and people would say oh what is it and it, it was the hardest part was finding um a small factory to manufacture it and i would say okay i want a really beautiful soldering joint and mm-hmm. they would say, oh you mean a very robust i said no no a beautiful mm-hmm. and they would ask, what is this for is it for is it a reading light i said no what is it and then I had big arguments with people. Should we write in the package how to use it? I'm like, I'm not going to tell people how to use the light. <laughs> and then one of the one of the uses was that if you wore a very very tiny but very bright with a very nice angle of light LED, and you went out and it was in orange, green, and and, and white, it was an invitation for somebody to say, "Oh, what is this?" Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so it wasn't a conversation starter or mm-hmm. and again, it was very simple like the simplest i would i call it like staple technology battery mm-hmm. um memory like wrapping wire which has a, a memory and led which exists in every appliance right that oh yeah have yeah have. but now you take the control of the technology people say oh is it powered by your heartbeat or is it power <laughs> is it powered by your by your heat um so you know when something is very simple and open it's an invitation for a conversation but Mm -hmm. also an invitation for dialogue and for for imagination um so you know how do we design what you know i call technologies with social functionality Mm. not just functionality how do we bring this social functionality into the fold yeah and then do where do you get those ideas from i mean do those are those do you just come up with it or do you see something like that or like where did that come from that's such a great idea uh, question uh, <laughs> where did it come from um in the case of the of the of the mo i mean i was already working with with wearables and mm. as we know even today 25 years later wearables is a very you know i call, I call it the edge case scenario because mm-hmm. many difficulties the majority of them are on the supply chain and the manufacturing and how you know the, the two the, the electronics apparel are so um divergent and so, still divergent unfortunately but terribly terribly so mm-hmm. um so it was like the simplest thing that i could do that still had a little bit of that magic mm-hmm. right um, my very first, the, how I got into wearables was uh, as a graduate student at, at NYU, the same department where I teach now, the Interactive Telecommunications Program. And for my thesis, I made a pair of jackets 
that communicated via infrared. But nice. the idea was that there was only one to one. So they were they were I made three pairs, but they each had their own pair, their own mate. Mm. There mm-hmm. was a riff on Plato's symposium, how we all have our perfect other out in the world and we're you know fantastic unity, the gods get pissed off because we don't care about them, they cut us in half, so we go around the world. So so the the they had uh, and they, they still work. I used a basic stamp. I don't know how geeky or how far back your geekhood goes. Um, and they pretty still, far back. It's um, they still work. And you know, I would go to Canal Street and scavenge um, um, headphone wire because at the time it was the only soft wire I could use to make my connections. Mm-hmm. Um, and. And talking about serendipity, that's the idea. You wear it, you are in the world, and all of a sudden, and because it works with infrared, it's a sight of line, a line of sight. You have to see the person. It's not somebody that you don't see. There's yeah. a map in there. So in that case, the idea came, I was just reading about infrared communication. I was going through the basic stamp, which is a precursor to Arduino, uh, the microcontroller. And I was reading at the different application notes. I thought, infrared? How amazing that there is this spectrum that mm-hmm. we can all see, but it's laden with possibility. And yeah. it becomes also a metaphor. How do we we do communicate non-verbally and we ha- we emit signals that again cognitively we're not aware of? So I first got fell in love with the idea of infrared. And then I brought in my whole philosophy and my Greek Plato and, <laughs> and thought. And and it was uh, and in a way that launched my career because because of that project, um, I was asked to join Interval, which was this amazing research lab. And then because of that, I worked at NCR. That they also had a wonderful lab in London called the Knowledge mm. Lab, and they were looking at the future of banking. And so they really liked that you know graduate pro- project, and they asked me to uh, design a, a set of of pro- projects for them to think about the future. Mm-hmm. So we're doing um, uh, a bracelet for, for kids to get them into banking early, you know. <laughs> <laughs> they have it now. I th- every I give your kid an Apple watch, right? Exactly. So it was a precursor <laughs> to that. And we did, you know, it was a precursor to ePay and we did a, a flexible circuit that we did in, uh, and at the time, again, engineers said, you want us to inject mold over a flexible circuit? Impossible. I'm like, we have a budget. Since here, try it. Try it exactly. Try what it. like try it is like no, my favorite phrase. Yeah, try it. Okay, it's not going to work. We'll burn some money. We have the budget. But you know, I said, look, no. So, so um, and it was, of course, it worked, and of course, now it's very standard. But yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I just like trying things out. But so ideas come. From sometimes the technology itself, I'm embarrassed to say, because I, I, I really am very concept driven. And when I get stuck, I go to the Met and I mm-hmm. look at old artifacts. I always say, yeah, There you go. Know. See, <laughs> serendipity <laughs> occurs. Yeah, exactly. And you just <laughs> see something that you make some weird synaptic, uh, unexpected connection in your brain. And there you yeah. go. Yeah. Yeah. So I want to ask you about your, your students. So um, when you're talking to them, do you see, that they're in their future, do they see more social media apps to stick us to phones? Or do you see actual people who are interested in solving the big problems that we have? I would say it's um, two 
thirds. So two thirds, they're looking at the big problems and one. Oh, good, good. I'm glad to see yeah. it's a majority. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and they're very. Um, a lot of them are very interested in. Well, actually, it's a uh, very wide. Of course, every now and then you have. I remember ten years ago, everybody was doing something like Connect. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, but now it's so honest. everyone does the hot thing, right? It's like yeah. you, you, if you don't talk about chat GPT right now, everybody ignores you. I mean, it's I really know. <laughs> you have to say something, even if it's been said already. You know? Yeah, exactly. Um, or Dolly. You know, All these do. people clamoring. Yeah. Um, so now, um, so I, I have a, so I'm teaching a thesis class this semester. We have a, a, fair, a few students interested in immersive environments um but a lot of them actually now that i think of it are really interested in narrative mm. narrative structures the future of narrative and i have quite a few students who are interested in social issues mm. how to use but narrative is important because that's that is how we communicate right that's how human beings that's communicate very, uh very heartwarming but i have i'd say five students out of 18 which is a, a, a nice that's, that's a really that's a good amount yeah uh, and and they're also amazing. I'm, I'm very humble sometimes with my by my students. They know so much. You know, they know how to mm-hmm. code and how to fabricate three um, D and and laser cut. That's nothing. It's like child's play. <laughs> and um, I know they're doing PowerPoint in grade four now. I mean, I'm like, yeah. what? <laughs> so so I um, they're they're pretty amazing. And and again, it's on us as as teachers, uh, innovators. Uh, broadcasters to <laughs> insert in that conversation the why because yeah. still sometimes I get students that they're really fascinated by a technology I said don't worry about the technology tell yeah. me what are you trying to say yeah you know, the you technology is to... never the problem it's never, it's the, never problem. the problem and it's never the solution either yeah exactly um, exactly so tell me what is it like I come to the final show or I hear a presentation and then I go home and I have dinner with my partner what do you want me to tell him that I went and saw this and I felt x and it mm-hmm. was amazing because why mm-hmm. that's answer that question yep yep and not just technology not just technology <laughs> because that you know it's Ah, it's boring i think that personally i think that everything's going to happen we just don't know when and we have to figure and uh a lot of things take a lot lot things always take a lot longer than you think like you're talking about you you've seen things are 25 years ago or just now coming to be popular or whatever so it's 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 crazy but anyway so it is time to talk about the future it's the year 2033 10 years from now what's the world going to be like what's going to what what where will we be in 10 years that's as I said. It's it's a, it's a, it's a such a wonderful and such a difficult question. Mm-hmm. I honestly, again, I'm seeing so much, so many people from the humanities. From as you know, maybe we will have chief philosophy officers. I know mm-hmm. we have many organizations do talk about ethics and AI, but as of yet, I think it's just the equivalent of greenwashing. We're not mm-hmm. there yet. However, yeah. I think that there's so many organizations and people asking fundamental questions about what is the relationship between AI and being human, mm-hmm. we will have a much more balanced, first of all, it, it will be everywhere. It, it, yeah. it already is everywhere. So Pretty much, yeah. I, I cannot think any aspect of our 
lives from our pets to our houses to cars to education you know um that it will be inflated but i do again i don't know if it's a hope or a prediction that it will be much more balanced and it mm -hmm. will not be just this hammer that everything looks that it thinks everything is a nail mm -hmm. um, so I, I think we'll have a more collaborative approach with um and like artificial intelligence i always find it as a difficult term machine learning which is mm. the artificial intelligence we mostly have right um we're teaching uh and i think we will have it also i i hope again as a hope give us some insights on how to take better care of ourselves mm. however for that to happen for it to be true insights and it not just quantify to quantify the information we will need to rethink what it means again to be human what kind of signals we emit and how we capture those yeah which is not a, a it seems easy so we, we need to have a fundamental mindset shift in order to be able to harness the the benefits and the potential of the technologies that we're building. Mm -hmm, but I'm mm -hmm. hoping that as the conversation of that we're having becomes more um popular or more ingrained in 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 how we design and build things. Because I think we, we have come to a certain halting point with with capitalism and how everything is about profit and at the without caring about the environment about other species about uh, social injustice or humans or for humans. that matter absolutely i mean they're mm -hmm. um connected so i i do think we will have more thoughtful um creation and co-creation uh of uh, these technologies that will bring us a certain insight on how to better manage our internal resources and our external resources mm -hmm. so you know i said earlier technology is not the solution but you know if we all had a much more efficient way of of technology to more efficiently manage our energy usage at home that's great but it demands again a different mindset and a different investment in how we develop yeah. these technologies yeah well if, if you ask me technology is just is there to remove our burdens right yes and then let us do let us do the stuff that is good for humans to do and let the technology do the stuff that technology is good at doing but we, we haven't figured that line out yet no absolutely not and again a lot of it goes education and conversation and bringing people together to talk that's right, which is great. And uh, now you inspired me. I've been thinking about doing some kind of salons and uh, you've inspired me to do some here. So, well, let me know <laughs> when and, you know, maybe I'm in California and, 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 and I'll come and join and I'll, I'll um, do a potluck. And we'll definitely, I'll definitely ping you before I get to New York because we can Please. hang out. <laughs> I, would, I would love that very, very much. This is so cool. Um, we have to do this again, by the way. This is, this is so much more we could talk about. Like you said, oh. we could talk for a week. Uh, yeah. I would so love somebody, to what we can pick up if you want a topic to, to dive in um, sounds deeper. Sounds great. So if uh, somebody wants to get in touch with you, what's the best way? So uh, my website is principled-design.com. Mm -hmm. uh, that's great. Uh, on Instagram, I'm Pixel Peppy. 
So somebody, nice. can, uh, it's actually, <laughs> okay, I'm following you now. <laughs> yeah, right. I had, um, I concocted a pod before Instagram, you know, when I was still at school, uh, because, you know, my nickname is Peppy and I was playing around with pixels. So it was pixel Peppy. That is a great, that is a great handle. I love it. Great. Thank you. So that's <laughs> someone can DM me there. It's it's easier. And um, yeah. And then my email is despina at principled-design.com. Fantastic. Well, it was great talking with you. Thank you we'll so much. Definitely see you. Real pleasure. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I look forward to seeing you in real life, as they yes, say. And, that'd be great. Uh, I'd love to to chat again anytime. Sounds great. Thank All you right. so much. Talk to you Thank later. You. Bye. Bye.